Dr. James Coates is the pastor teacher at Grace Life Church of Edmonton in Alberta, Canada. He has been pastoring there for more than 13 years, and in 2021, James was arrested for opening his church in violation of COVID-19 restrictions. He is a graduate of the Master's Seminary, co-author of God vs. Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide, and author of Preaching and Hearing God's Word. During our interview, we discuss the God-centered process of forgiving foes and showing love in adversity, commitment to faith during social upheaval and spiritual warfare, and how the story of the Garden of Eden offers wisdom on the creation of relationships. We also discuss the idea of humanity as flowers of one garden and examples of self-sacrifice in nature and in scripture. I'm Sienna May Heath, and this is Leaving the Left for Liberty. As I mentioned in my initial email to you, I'm just really impressed by your commitment to your faith, especially during this time of social upheaval and spiritual warfare. Um, some might call it spiritual warfare, but I'm, I'm curious if that's how you would frame the times that we're in, or if maybe it's something else. Well, spiritual warfare is always taking place. So for sure, there's definitely an aspect of that involved in what's happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a complex situation that we're dealing with right now. Right. And a couple of years ago, it's hard to believe it was two years ago now, but um, you were arrested in Alberta for breaking pandemic rules. Could you tell me a little bit more about what happened? Yeah, so basically, we had initially complied with the Public Health Act, and uh, that's the, the the legislation that would govern our province here in Canada, and we're in Alberta. And so we, we were complying with that. There were lockdown measures in place as of March 2020. And initially, in light of this new set of circumstances where the government was telling us to close our doors, and in light of the fact that we didn't really have um, uh, a real sense of what we were dealing with, even as it relates to the virus, we opted to uh, initially comply. And then that summer, when the first declared public health emergency had lapsed, we opted to uh, open our doors and allow our people to make their own decision. And that's really a unique piece in this whole thing is there's this expectation that's placed upon either myself or our leadership as a collective group of elders to dictate to the congregation whether or not they can come to church that day or how far they have to be from somebody else or whether or not they mask. And we, we thought like, that's not our place. This is not our responsibility. We don't have this, this role and function within the context of the church the scriptures, the Bible gives to us the, the the authority that we do have as it relates to the life of the church, but that authority is to really uphold the authority of Christ over his church, and that means that Christ gets to dictate to the church the terms of worship, which is a wonderful thing because Christ is good and wonderful and gracious, and so we we want to be under his lordship, his headship. So the fact that both in some cases, the court of public opinion, as well as the governing authorities, were calling on us to make the decision for our people. 
and then holding us accountable for the decisions of our congregation just shows um, just a real, a real failure to appreciate the significance of um, just reality as it really is. So we opened our doors and allowed our people to make their own decision. And things were initially going fine. Our people began to come back as they so chose. And, and, and not everyone came back at the same time. It was sort of gradual. Uh, but then things got dicey in the fall of 2020 when they declared their second public health emergency. And, uh, and at that point in time, with the emergency in place, there were all of these punitive measures that were now in force. And so we began to receive uh, complaints against our gathering. And, and at that particular point, uh, the RCMP, which is our police, and, and uh, AHS, which is our health governing body, began to come to our Sunday morning church services. And we're actually in the service up on our balcony, looking down on the congregation as our services were beginning. So we had the police in our church as we're meeting and gathering for worship. And uh, it was really a, a difficult time. I mean, that first Sunday that it was like that was December 13th, 2020. And I was wrestling with how am I going to handle this? Uh, how are we going to begin our worship service in this way. And so I, uh, in God's providence, uh, had the idea that we would stand and honor law enforcement, the RCMP, our police, by giving them a standing ovation, that we would recognize their sacrifice and service in our community. We, we, we believe in law enforcement. We, we believe in the rule of law. We, we were obviously opening our church in submission to Christ, and that was therefore by implication in defiance of the governing authorities, but we believe the governing authorities were enacting an unjust law upon us, and, and so we, we couldn't comply with that because it put us at odds with God, and when you are at odds with God uh, and, and man, you obey God, not men, and, and that's what we did, so but we nevertheless honored law enforcement and, and, and for a number of Sundays in consecutive Sundays gave them standing ovations as we recognize their, their service and sacrifice in our community. So we, we, we love law enforcement. We, we believe in the role of government, but we recognize that there are spheres of authority, three of them, actually, you have the, the sphere of government, you have the sphere of the church and the sphere of the family. And we don't see the government as being in total authority over the family and the church. We recognize that in some ways, the authority of each sphere um, is going to kind of implicate the other. But nevertheless, these are coordinate authorities, spheres of authority. And so they are to coexist alongside one another. And the church can't dictate to the government how it should govern. And the government can't dictate to the church how it should worship and and, and even the government can't dictate to the family how it, should, how it should be a family and function as a family. And so these spheres of authority need to be uh, respected and acknowledged. They're God-ordained spheres of authority. Government is God's design. The family is God's design. The church is God's design. And so we were simply acting in a manner consistent with our, our sphere of authority under Christ and his word. And that put us at odds with the governing authorities, which ultimately climaxed uh, in my being in prison for 35 days in a maximum security prison. 
And then following my release, it resulted in our church being in prison because the governing authorities broke into our building, locked our doors, changed the locks and put up three layers of fencing around our property so that we couldn't access that property until July 1st of 2021, which is um, our Canada Day. And, uh, and at that particular point, we got our building back and were able to to continue to meet and gather and worship. And just to add one other piece, um, there was a third declared public health emergency that took place in the fall of 2021. And uh, at that time, we wondered whether or not the governing authorities were going to want to go toe to toe for round two. And they left us alone. No media, uh, no RCMP, uh, no AHS. They, they left us entirely alone. And I think ultimately um, that was. Uh, evidence that they realized that the round one, even if they might sort of look like they've won on paper, it was uh, ultimately a, a miscalculation on their part and did much harm uh, to the political party that was in place at that time. They're still in place now, but we've got a new premier because the the premier or governor who, um, who was functioning under um, during the pandemic, he ultimately stepped down due to a lack of popularity. Wow, what an incredible, potent journey. I'm just so moved um, by by nearly every part, but I, what sticks with me is the clapping for the public, was it um, the police officers? Just the the love that you displayed and the grace and how you you modeled that in the face of adversity is something I can really admire. And then considering the spheres of authority, government being one of them, plus the church and plus the family, how how would you imagine a faith-based government that is not a theocracy, but is perhaps divinely inspired? Well, I think government has to recognize its role and function. So when a government assumes total authority, and, and begins to function in a tyrannical way, it's denying the reality that the authority that it has is divinely delegated. So all government has to do is understand that its authority is given to it by God. And then from there, not only will they understand that their authority is limited, but they, they then need to understand the purpose of that authority. And, and the purpose of that authority is to uphold what is good, to uphold law and order. Um, what's happening now in much of the Western world is that government is getting involved in everything. And there's a, an amazing irony because not only are they involved in all kinds of things they ought not to be involved in, but they're failing in many respects at the one thing they are to be involved in, which is law and order, law enforcement. And so we have governments that are setting aside the responsibility to to punish crime, true crime, through all kinds of new bail legislation and, 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 and sentencing that doesn't result in jail time so that criminals are able to commit crimes and then be released uh, moments later and, and recommit again. Uh, so the, the governing authorities are failing to do the one thing they're on God's green earth to do. And, and in the meantime, they're involved in all kinds of other things like trying to manage a pandemic, trying to govern uh, an invisible virus through all kinds of 
means that are outside of the 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 realm of even solid sound science and uh and so a government needs to embrace its role and responsibility by doing exactly what it's supposed to do which is to uphold that which is good and punish evil wow and one one aspect of the pandemic that i noticed was the the focus and almost obsession with the physical body and not considering that we are noble beings and spiritual beings and beings of create creations of god and there there was this obsession during the pandemic that everyone's material reality must be the same for example everyone must get vaccinated in order to kind of participate in this pseudo cult or one might call it like a religion um and and what did you make of that like this this fixation on materialism essentially and science without a grounding in faith yeah that's a great question and um my mind goes in a number of different directions but um you know you look at the vaccine for example and the vaccine mandates which impacted people in our country for sure i mean there was a period of time where we couldn't fly um unless you were vaxxed uh there were there was a period of time where um uh people were losing their jobs that unless you were vaxxed you you would not be able to continue on in work and so <clears throat> there were a number of impacts that took place as a result of uh, the vaccine mandates in our country and um and and that's motivated by a variety of things it would seem i mean certainly there's a, a monetary motivation for it i mean why in the world in the context of the pandemic would um the medical profession have to deny treatments therapeutics that are inexpensive and um arguably um useful in the context of dealing with COVID-19 in order to put in place a vaccine that was experimental, hadn't gone through the rigorous testing that vaccines normally would, and, and even in some cases pay the, the, the patient to, to take the vaccine, put incentives in place that would compel them to, to get the vaccine by virtue of receiving a monetary reward for doing so. I mean, that just is ludicrous. And, and, and so obviously there's a, a financial component to it, but then you, you can't help you. Part of you goes, is that it? I mean, this was just about money. I mean, surely, um, you know, there had to be more to it than that. And that's where you get into a, a rabbit's hole as far as, you know, what the real intent and motivation was. And that gets into your original question as far as spiritual warfare. Um, you know, you look at what took place during the pandemic and you recognize that Satan is the ruler of this world, that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one, first John 5, 19. And so, um, you recognize that Satan is at work and he's certainly at work at the governmental level. I mean, he's at work, you know, in, in every, at every level of society. And so when you, when you begin to pull back the curtain on what took place during the pandemic, you, you can't help but, but begin to question uh, the role of spiritual warfare and everything. Indeed, yes. And considering the potential union of science and religion, how might we 
remain grounded in like some material fact and appreciation for the the health advances that we've made in the Western world while also obeying the laws of Christ? Well, I think you have to start from the, the, the basis that God is the first cause of all things. The, the whole world came into existence through God. God spoke the world into existence in, in six 24-hour days. So you begin with the reality that God is the creator. And then from there, you recognize that in the context of real science, science is that which is observable, testable, provable. And so science, science has really been raised up as a new religion where you now have to trust the science and trusting the science is essentially making science out to be God on the one hand, if you're going to put your trust in science, I mean, that's where you're finding security protection. Well, that's what you do. Uh, uh, that's an expression of worship. That, that, that's what you do to a false God in the case of, of anything that you would offer that to that isn't God as revealed in his word. Um, so this is science has really become a religion and 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 that needs to be utterly rejected in many cases the the science that's being espoused is not real science it's just what a few select quote-unquote experts espouse and then that becomes the you know the um the authoritative word from science that everyone then needs to submit themselves to and so at the end of the day if you recognize that god is the creator and that his word is his revelation to mankind and 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 that science is only that which is observable, testable, provable, then, then that's going to help to, to function in the context of truth. And, and science is only going to be able to speak to that which it can legitimately, because again, it's been observed, tested, and proven. And, um, and so um, I think that truth goes hand in hand with real science and, and, and that we can... Um, we can science is a wonderful thing insofar as we utilize it as it was intended. Mm. Just taking a moment to like to consider what the world could be like if we if we co-created, you know, I, I imagine like a co-creation with God, a divinely inspired civilization, um, and not uh, a corrupt world government but perhaps something that's like truly aligned with god and his word and may maybe we could muse a little bit more on what that would look like well yeah I, I think you can anticipate what it will look like because it's what all of human history is moving toward uh, christ came once to lay down his life for the forgiveness of sin to accomplish salvation he died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father. So he has accomplished salvation by virtue of atoning for sin, so that now all who believe on his name are forgiven their sin. They are um, accounted righteous by God, by the, the righteousness of Christ being counted to them, where he lived a perfect sinless life. And so... So Christ came once to accomplish salvation. He's going to return again in judgment, at which time he's going to establish his kingdom. And at that point in time, he is going to reign from and over the earth 
under an earth that has been restored and and lifted out from under the current curse that it's under and and at that point in time the government will actually rest upon the shoulders of christ and the, the scriptures teach that the church as we know it will reign with christ at that time and so so there is coming a time when god's rule and reign over the earth will be enacted through his son and we're going to see uh the, the earth be all that it was intended to be everything that really it was prior to the fall of man and more it will be at that time under the headship and leadership and, and kingship of jesus christ and you mentioned that such a government would be limited what roles would this government play in your view well at that time there's a sense in which, um, you know, would the government be limited? Um, I mean, certainly Christ is going to be the earthly dictator. I mean, he is going to be the perfect righteous dictator. If you think about just the way that, that nations function now, the absolute best kind of government that you can envision in this life is one that is led by a righteous dictator a perfectly sinless righteous dictator that would be the the, the, the perfect government and of course we can't have that because man has fallen but christ is that and so when he returns we will have that condition upon the earth and um and then at that time he, he will reign over all things. And so I'm not sure it would be appropriate to refer to his rule and reign as limited in, in that sense, because he, he's going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the, the son of God and God, the son reigning from and over all the earth. Um, so yeah, the, the concept of it being a limited government probably doesn't fit that context because you're going to have, a perfectly righteous king and everything is ultimately for his honor, glory, and worship. So would you classify that as a top-down approach? Well, certainly righteousness will reign in the earth at that time and it will reign because he is righteous and king over all of the earth. And so um, I don't even know if it's necessary to classify it as top down versus bottom up it, it will be uh um the the conditions will be that of a a perfectly just king reigning over all of the earth hmm. i guess it's also you know not a, a man or woman's job to 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 believe that they actually know what that would look like it's just like you know a matter of curiosity and like looking at scripture and wondering also like where we are in this grand story, I know there are some um, pastors out there who believe we're approaching the book of Revelations or we're in the book of Revelations. What's your view on that? Well, Revelation uh, 6 and following depict the, the events that are consistent with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a, a, a period of time that's referred to in the Old Testament and the New Testament as a time of judgment upon the earth. And so we are not yet in the day of the Lord, and therefore we are not yet in that period that is uh, described in Revelation 6 all the way through to 19, the second coming of Christ, followed by 
his millennial reign in chapter 20 and then the eternal state in 21 and 22. Um, there's a sense in which verses or chapters one through three are, are in effect at the moment because the, the, the first two, three chapters of Revelation are, are letters written to churches that were historical churches that existed 2000 years ago. And so, and the, the promises and even the teaching that's given in those, those letters to those churches are applicable today as they were, uh, as they were then. And so there's a sense in which Revelation chapters one through three are a reality at present and, uh, and, and six through 19 and then 20 and 21 through 22 are, are future realities. Hmm. So we're at some sort of primal point or precipice, perhaps. Well, yeah, we are. We're in that time where the church has been given the great commission to go to all the nations and make disciples. All authority on in heaven and on earth have been given to Christ, and He is He has translated that authority to an exhortation to the church to go and make disciples. And so, our job is to do just that: go into all the world proclaim the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ, to, to make disciples, to baptize them and teach them and see the church built up to all maturity until the Lord returns. Mm. I, I've heard I've heard the phrase recently that God is on the move. Maybe in a, another way of saying that is like God is working for the good of all things. Um, do you see, do you see like a sort of a heightened sped up movement um a revival perhaps happening now well i think we've seen a little bit of that in our own country here in canada for those churches that did keep their churches open and took a stand against the the injustice of our governing authorities uh, we've seen you know revival take place in the context of our churches we've seen people come to christ we've seen the church grow spiritually through a very tumultuous time uh, and so there's no question i think that as the 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 structures of society unravel it creates distress and unrest in the civil realm and and god can use that to draw people to himself as they become fearful and disenfranchised uh with 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 human institutions and look for uh, security and protection in, in, in the creator of all things. And so it's difficult to kind of label this uh, a particular time of revival, but, but God is always at work. His gospel is always going forth. Christ promised that he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And so there's no question that, that God's kingdom on earth is advancing one soul at a time. And in the series of letters that you mentioned to the churches, there's one church that's called lukewarm. Is that right? That's correct. And, and could you tell me more about that letter? It's been a little while since I've read it, but that I, I remember going back to it every so often and feeling like, um, well, I, I noticed of course, like a lot of kind of lukewarm personalities and approaches during the pandemic where like there were people that would come up and say how grateful they are to those of us who are speaking up or taking action but they would remain lukewarm and sort of on the sidelines um could you just tell me like more more about that letter to the lukewarm church and how how you see that quality amongst 
our fellows and how we might inspire them to to rise up yeah it might be difficult to apply that particular um letter to the specific situation that you've just uh highlighted um and and even as it relates let me be completely forthright i've never preached that portion of scripture and so i haven't given it a thorough treatment in terms of study but as i've read that portion of scripture those who are lukewarm um, are those who are don't know the lord jesus christ and so in theory in light of the comparison between being hot or cold um a believer is one who can be either one of those either hot or cold but to be lukewarm um and when i say cold i mean i just acknowledge that there are times in the christian life when a believer is colder than he ought to be or she ought to be and and needs to be revived spiritually in order to come back to that place of 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 recognizing their first love which is christ but when it comes to being lukewarm that's someone who's neither hot nor cold uh, does not know Christ at all and is in need of salvation. Uh, and so I, to apply that to those who um, who would be, quote unquote, lukewarm in the context of the, the battle that seems to be taking place at this point in time uh, with, with government and its tyranny might be a bit of a stretch. But um, I think, you know, really depends on who it is that I'm speaking to. I mean, fundamentally, what's critically important is that a person come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I mean, if, if you're going to be a freedom fighter here on this green earth and, and then die in your sins and enter into eternal judgment, uh, that's just a wasted life. And it's an eternity of judgment that comes on the heels of it. And so first and foremost, first and foremost, we need to be reconciled to God, the father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where I would start. I'd want folks to be reconciled to Christ. And then once they've been reconciled to him through faith, well, then we can talk about um, needing to be built up to maturity in Christ, where you would be a part of a sound local church and, and would be under the ministry of God's word and would be would be growing and learning how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to put off sin and put on righteousness. And so we could talk about that. Then as it relates to faithfulness to Christ, it would be faithfulness into every area of life, not, not just in the context of our private life, not just in the context of the church, but in the workplace, uh, in, in, in the society that we live in. And so from there, we can talk about, well, how can you glorify Christ in your particular place in society? And what opportunities do you have to shine brightly for Christ and to be a, an agent of righteousness and, and to, to even be an evangelist with the gospel? And so then we can start to talk about that. Um, when it comes to the pandemic, the, the, the biggest, I guess, disappointment is, is the way that many pastors responded to what took place, where they, they complied with the governing authorities for the duration of the pandemic in some cases, and, and failed to appreciate the moment that we were in, and would look at individuals like myself and say, well, you were just violating the law, you got what you deserved, what took place wasn't persecution at all, and, and, and would just appeal to Romans 13 and the need to be subject to our governing authorities and act like 
that subjection is total subjection, that there aren't any circumstances within which that we might need to be uh, civilly disobedient to our governing authorities. And so I think, I think there's conversations like that where it comes to taking the word of God and, and, and passages like Romans 13 and accurately applying them to the particular time and space that we're in in order to navigate these, these difficult moments that, that arise and be faithful in them and use them for the glory of Christ. I would just say this, that as our church took the stand that it did, it provided opportunities to be able to to proclaim the lordship of christ to proclaim the gospel and to to shine brightly for him and so there were missed opportunities for sure and um and and to the extent that folks give up on those opportunities or let them pass by they they're they're missing moments to glorify christ and 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 to have the smile of their conscience as they reflect on this this faithfulness that we can offer to him mm. And how beautiful to call Jesus one's first love. And I, I think that love is is so crucial in this process of coming out of the the pandemic and you know looking back on the persecution that many of us faced. And how how were you preaching at that time and how are you continuing to preach a message of love and forgiveness and naturally you know forgiving foes and perhaps understanding that there are no enemies besides satan as you believe well i think if you know you, you're you're faithful to preach god's word and and my my preaching ministry typically is to preach books of the bible and to preach them verse by verse and so we're in romans we just finished chapter two um just before i took some time off and We'll be picking up in Romans 3 at some point here in the future. As you preach through the word of God and are faithful to his word, you're going to preach all of these things because it's 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 God who calls us to all of this. We're to love our enemies as our um, even as he loves his enemies. And so um, you know, we there's no one that we can't love. Um, we're to we're to love our neighbor, we're to love our enemy, we're to love everyone. Now the scriptures are gonna are gonna you know, teach us and instruct us in how to love. We're, we're not going to let the world define what love is and, and how it should look. But, um, but if you're faithful to preach the word and you, you're a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and you're, you're, you're striving to be obedient to what God has commanded, then extending mercy and grace to those who have wronged you is, is just walking in a manner that's consistent with what Christ did and, and how he lived. And so you being put into custody for 35 days, I imagine was a test and an opportunity for you to walk in Christ's way of being. Tell me more about that experience of being imprisoned and what you, what you learned and, and how, how you embodied Christ during that time and perhaps even moments where you you kind of felt especially tested well i think the the biggest thing that stood out to me in my time in prison is that the same shepherd care that i've experienced in my life since becoming a christian which is almost 20 years now i experienced there in prison and um so so when you go into a situation like that that's unlike anything you've ever experienced before 
you're, you're wondering, is God going to be with me? And of course he promises he will be. Um, so you have that promise, but you're, you're, you're wondering, you know, what it's going to look like and, and, and how's it going to express itself. And, and in my time in prison, I just saw God's loving hand in my life and the way mm-hmm. that he has always shepherded me. He, he shepherded me there. And, and there were some moments that were difficult just because of the fear factor involved, uh, just in terms of being uh, fear, uh, afraid for my well-being. Um, and, and the Lord ministered to me in some really wonderful ways. There was one situation that, that took place where it was just about the time when I was going to be transferred from quarantine into general population where... Um, I would have much more interaction with other uh, inmates. And there, there, was, there was a couple of conversations that took place that were instilling some fear in me that, that because the media was sort of painting me out to be a white supremacist, that when I got into general population, they were going to want to harm me. And, and so I had a particular moment that was um, fearful and and waiting and i went to the lord in prayer and and even while i was praying there was a chaplain who came to see me in that particular moment and so they buzzed my cell they they let me know the chaplain was there i went down and spoke with him and just shared with him my concerns and he he just affirmed that i had nothing to worry about and there there wasn't anything to be fearful of and so you can just see how you know in the same way that the Lord ministered to Daniel or Elijah in some particular moments where he, he, he sent an answer to their prayer, even before they had said the amen. Um, the Lord was ministering to me that way as well. And so the same shepherd care that he, he always demonstrates um, is, is even in those difficult moments. And, the, and the, the scriptures teach that Psalm 139, whether I make my bed in heaven or in shul, you are there. And it's true, he is. Would you say that you experienced a form of liberation of the spirit when you were imprisoned? You know, I would say that um, the time in prison was multifaceted. There were some moments of intense joy and a real sense of blessing as my wife, for example, would share to me things that were happening on the outside as a result of what was taking place. Um, But there were some moments that were, were incredibly difficult. And um, even as I I touched on a moment ago, so, so I I would say that, um, you know, we read Acts, and we can see these moments when the apostles were in jail and singing hymns and giving praise to God. And there were, there were moments like that. There's no question, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize my time in jail as this hyper spiritual time. Um, there's, there's no way to romanticize it. Um, I was in jail and my experience in jail uh, varied from moments of great intense joy to, to moments of great intense fear. And, and there were even moments when things were pretty mundane. And, uh, and so mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that um that there was any sort of a unique spiritual experience by virtue of of having gone to prison what i would say is that um having gone through what i did and recognizing that 
when we follow Christ, we have to be willing to lose it all, including our own life. It was a wonderful way to be tested on that level. Would I really truly be willing to lose everything for Christ? And, um, you know, in that whole season, I was having to detach myself from the things that I cherish most in this world. And, and so coming out of that, there's, um, there is a healthy detachment from the things of this world. And, and there is um, a willingness and, and, and a, an absence of fear with respect to having to lose everything for Christ. Wow, how glorious. What else does the Bible say about practicing detachment? Well, there is, you know, a, a portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 7 that, that exhorts a healthy detachment from the things of this world, that those who are married are to be as though they aren't, that those who are, are rich and wealthy are to be as they aren't, as if they aren't. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Jesus says to me, if any man wishes to come after me, he must lay down his life. Rather, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so to, to follow Christ is to, to basically become his slave and, and to deny self, to take up your cross, which is a tool of execution and enter a death march where you would be willing to lay down your life for Christ. And, and so really to follow Christ is a command to, to be willing to walk away from everything for his sake. And that's, that's where it all begins. And, um, and so I think all of just even the way the Bible talks about our relationship to Christ being that of a slave, um, we are slaves of Christ and, uh, and are to follow him in obedience, no matter what the cost, even if it means that we should die for him. Hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, um, in the present time, what sorts of scripture have you been bringing up to your congregation and why? Well, when we were going through this particular time, which was now a number of years ago, we were in the Gospel of John. And so two Sundays prior to my imprisonment, I preached on uh, John 10, where Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd and that he lays down his life for the sheep. So we were, we were in the Gospel of John and working through that. Now um, we're in Romans and working through that. There are various points in time too where i've addressed government and our relationship to government preaching romans 13 and um this coming sunday i'm going to be in psalm 23 and um that glorious psalm that begins the lord is my shepherd i shall not want and so um so yeah i mean we've been we've been ministering to our people from the word of God, Sunday in and Sunday out. And, and all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness that the man of God would be equipped, adequate for every good work. And so, um, so yeah, we're just continuing to do that. And, and to your points on love and forgiveness, for, for those that are struggling to forgive, um, perhaps those who have tried to coerce their speech or coerce their medical decisions, what advice might you give 
um, through through the word of God to those who are who are still working through that process and perhaps will always be working through that process. Well, anything that's not done from faith is sin. That's what Romans 14 teaches. Um, so, so on the one hand, as it relates to any issue that we come up against, we have to search the scriptures and, and determine from the word of God, what Christ requires. We have to also recognize that our conscience needs to be fully informed and fully convinced. And there are times when, we're not going to be able to do certain things because our conscience will not permit it. And if we violate our conscience, we do sin against our conscience and that's a sin against Christ. So I think it's critically important to, um, to, to search the scriptures, to, to, um, to be a noble Berean act 17 and, and, and be able to, um, to apply the word of God with skill to, the situations we're in and sometimes we can't do that as individuals we need our church families to do that we need pastors to come alongside us and help us through that and so um but there is a a critically important principle that we can never violate the conscience i agree um on on the episode i did in our studio with matt kibbe we talked about intellectual property being you know the intellectual property of your mind and the um, this caustic urge that we've experienced of one fellow wanting another to violate their conscience, to speak in a way that is not truthful, um, or act in a way that is not truthful. And there's there's something um, I think inherently, I guess one could say satanic, but I, I for me personally that that language is a bit too strong but there's something dehumanizing about one trying to coerce another and essentially one person trying to play god and dominate over the other but what does the bible have to say about um dominating relationships and building healthier relationships well yeah i think you know, the, the principle applies, like as a pastor, my responsibility is to be a steward of the consciences of the people that God has entrusted to me. And, and so that means that I can never force someone under my care to go against their conscience. And that applies to everything, my wife, my children in any sphere, I, I should never coerce anyone into doing anything they're not fully convinced is right. So any kind of any kind of coercion, any, any, you know, when the government belittles conscience, as they did in my case, and, and where conscience isn't permitted to, to reign, where, where, where anyone else is trying to assert themselves as the Lord of the conscience, you know, other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, um, that's, that's incredibly problematic. And, and so I think, Everyone needs to respect the conscience of another and, and there should be a, a stewarding of that. There should be a guarding and protecting of that. There should be a proper informing of that. But, um, but relationships where individuals are trying to coerce you into doing anything that you ought not to do are relationships that are uh, incredibly unhealthy. And, um, you know, I, 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 I there's so many situations where that could be a reality that it would be difficult to provide a remedy for each and every one, a recourse and how to 
work through that and deliver oneself from that. But, um, but there really does need to be a respecting of the conscience of each other. Agreed. And, and what does a God centered faith loving family look like? And how can, can a family such as that inspire others to create healthier and more wholesome relationships? Well, yeah. So in the context of the home, God has appointed the husband as the head of the home. So he's the ultimate authority in the home. Um, his responsibility then is to be a, a, a loving head. In fact, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 exhorts husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so husbands are to to give up themselves in the same way that Christ did as the expression of their love. So, so a godly home is going to be led by a, a husband who exercises his authority in a manner that's consistent with the, the headship of Christ over the church. Um, a wife is then called to be submissive to her husband as, as the church is uh, submitted to Christ. And so, um, so, so a, a loving wife is going to be one who's going to come under the, the, the loving headship of her husband, and she's going to be submissive to his leadership. That doesn't mean that, you know, she's not going to be able to speak into the life of her husband. It doesn't mean that she's giving up all um, sort of opportunities to influence her husband, but there's a spirit and uh, a way that that ought to take place in the context of um, a godly marriage. And then you've got the parents or the children who are going to have to submit to the parents and be obedient to the parents. And the parents should be looking out for the children and their best interest, should be nurturing them and, and, and nourishing them even upon the word of God and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and the children are to respect their parents and submit to their authority and to be obedient to them. And so, uh, so that, that really is the, the blueprint for a godly household, a, a loving uh, husband and father, um, a submissive wife and mother and, and children that, that obey their parents. Hmm. The concept of obedience also comes up in, the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, where um, I guess one could say Eve disobeyed and she took a bite of the apple. Um, and when we think of creation, um, as, as we were discussing earlier, that God created us, God created us and planted us in a garden, in a very organic um, one could say like grassroots environment. You know, he gave us a chance at paradise. And when, when you look at the book of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve, what lessons do you think we can learn as men and women and how we can, we can embody kind of like an, an innocence that God intended us to have? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, there's so much that could be said on that level. Um, as it relates to <clears throat> the Garden of Eden and Adam, clearly Adam was failing to be the, the leader that he was called to be. Um, 
he he did not um he did not handle the situation with eve appropriately at all and and so you can see that there was a breakdown that took place in the garden between adam as the one who is the head and and who is the one who had received the prohibition from god that that they were not to eat from the uh of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and so um and then on eve's part i mean she was deceived she she fell to the deception of the enemy uh the enemy the serpent he posed the question um has god said you shall certainly die and so um he he the 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 enemy the devil satan works to undermine the truth of god's word and and to create doubt in the minds of his people as it relates to the truthfulness of his word and so there's so many things uh that's a that's a massive um question you've just asked as far as what could be you know what could be drawn from that but certainly um what you get from the garden of eden is the need to um to know the truth we're in a truth war so we need to know the truth believe the truth obey the truth and um and, and as we do that we're going to we're going to see god's blessing be upon our life which doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to uh, avoid all difficulty it just means that god is going to um, ensure that we are trees that are firmly planted by streams of water yielding their fruit in their season as in psalm 1 and um, and that we will know god's blessing in our inner man as we seek to live for his honor and glory mm. and the the theme of self-sacrifice also comes up in discussions around the book of genesis and how uh, a man often self-sacrifices for his wife, um, as Christ did for the church. Um, I don't know if you know that geraniums, the the flower, they self-sacrifice themselves to the um, they they will bow down and actually allow themselves to be eaten by Japanese beetles, so that the rest of the garden can survive. Um, and this doesn't always happen, but um, there's just such a fruitful wealth of wisdom in the garden. I don't think that that's an accident because after all, we were created in the garden. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I didn't know that, but there's no question that as it relates to um, agriculture, there are tons of illustrations to be drawn. In fact, when Jesus taught, he often drew on on those realities when he taught parables and in, in various um, you know, illustrations that he made in his teaching. So you're, 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 you're totally right. And what do you think is the role of agriculture and um, in the, the co-creation of a divine civilization as we move forward and in, in the, in the Bible, in the Bible story? Well, it's amazing. Like we we've touched on it a bit because the, with Adam's sin, God cursed the earth. And, and that's why we have thorns and thistles. The, the earth does not yield its fruit as it did prior to the fall of man. Uh, but when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth and the earth is restored, um, the earth's going to come out from under that curse and will again bear its fruit as it ought to do or as it was intended to do. In fact, Romans 8 describes 
like the earth in a personified way where it's groaning it's groaning longing to be out from under the curse that it's under and so that time is coming and and so when uh, when Christ is ruling and reigning and everything reaches its goal, uh, this side of the eternal state, we're going to see the earth blossom and bloom the way that it was always intended. Right. It's a beautiful image. I've heard humanity described as flowers of one garden, the the diversity of of all the people and every man, woman and child kind of setting each other apart. And, and their diversity and color and texture and temperament. Um, and the, the metaphors are just endless. Um, I think they're very much grounded in, in the garden that we were planted in. And, and considering moving forward in a spirit of love and an organically forming forgiveness, how do you see um, reconnecting with nature as um, an important piece of that process? Yeah, you know, I don't know if I've given it much thought. Um, I think one of the things that come to mind at the moment is that with um, with the way that that mankind and you know, I, I think in many cases in our country, the governing authorities, the the way the government is now getting involved in uh, agriculture and the food supply chain and, and all of the matters that relate to climate change and, and everything else and, and beginning to even limit the amount of fertilizer that farmers can use in the production of their crops. And I mean, you can get even into just our whole wheat processing, um, you know, um, that side of agriculture i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff we can get into on that we you can see how man has really um distorted ruined um what could be and so the even you know aside from the fact that we're under a curse um we're we're, we're the way that we meddle with with um with the land that we've been given and the fruit that it could yield is um is unfortunate and so we're not even able to see the the fruitfulness of the land that could be even this side of the second coming of christ um but yeah as far as i don't know about reconnecting with the land but i i i would certainly like to see um us let the earth bear its fruit you know without without um you know distorting and perverting our, our food supply system. Mm, meddling is a good way of putting it too. Um, uh, although God did give humankind dominion over the earth and the animals and the plants. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me, let me say it like this, you know, this is getting little, little out there as far as topic wise, but take capitalism. So um, if, uh, if you look at North America at this point in time, um, there's so many um, injustices that are attributed to capitalism. And, and then even as it relates to the economy as it currently is, um, there's all kinds of uh, fouls that are raised up against the way that capitalism works. And yet we don't really have a truly capitalistic society because the, we don't really let the free market um, work and function. So it can't really thrive. There's all kinds of government regulations and everything else that gets in the way 
of of allowing um, our countries to be as prosperous as they otherwise could be. And so it's the same kind of thing as it relates to, um, you know, our, our, our farming system and everything else, like where I'm not advocating for us to not, you know, produce um, food and everything. I, I think we ought to. I mean, the government won't let us drill for oil, as it were. That's an overstatement, but that's what they want. I'm saying, no, like God put that there. You know, be a good steward, you know, drill um, wisely. And, and to the extent that you can do that in a way that's safe for the environment, do that. But drill, drill to your heart's content. Um, take away all of the regulations that are affecting um, the, the current economic system from being able to be truly prosperous. And uh, so, again, not advocating for us to not utilize the land i want to utilize the land i just want to take off the weights that are being placed on it that would uh, otherwise allow it to really truly uh be fruitful yeah i mean well climate change and drilling that's like that's such a complex topic and and one <laughs> one to delve in more deeply but i appreciate you bringing it up because if if it's true that man was given dominion over the earth it's, I think it's important to look at how we can do that from a faith-based perspective and, and do it with, with reverence and um, in the way of not playing God and rather, you know, letting God move through us and inspire us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to your point, God has given us dominion so we want to utilize that dominion. We're his representatives on earth. We want to we do that well and do it to his glory and do it in a way that does in fact glorify him. So absolutely. Beautiful. Well, James, I thank you for coming on with me today. If you have any other reflections that you'd like to share before we close out, please. You know, maybe the only thing that I would mention is just that if, if folks out there want to be more, they want a fuller, description of all that took place with regard to our church uh, they can find the the fullest and clearest and more most detailed um uh capturing of that in the book called god versus government and so uh that that's a book that i've co-authored with a guy named nathan Buznitz, and uh, it's available pretty much everywhere and it's a it's a great book it tells the story of two churches and what we went through is we sought to keep our church open in the face of um, the, the governing authorities punishing us and penalizing us. And it also provides a theological framework for how to think through the relationship between the church and the government. And so um, I would encourage folks to pick that up. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Thank you. Well, God bless you, James, and let's Thank keep you. in touch. Sounds good. Bye.